Hey, Rem, we're back. Hey, buddy, how are you? I'm good. What's it been, like two weeks since we since last an recorded? Episode. And in the two weeks, I went to Maryland to go to a competition for Sherry Lynn Nicholas, who was doing her professional debut as a bodybuilder. Quick fill-in. Bob's got a black wife who's amazing, talented, and is a professional bodybuilder. And she's been on two episodes. Yep. Maryland is lovely, by the way. I was caught in Taylor Swift traffic in from Philadelphia to Wilmington, Delaware on 95. I went to a Shake Shack on the way. I've been to one and I really yeah. enjoyed it. What'd you get? I got a just a double bacon cheeseburger with crinkly fries. Cause crinkly fries. Bro. Crinkly fries. And I didn't get a shake because I was just wasn't feeling a shake at that time of day. So I got a Bita root beer. Yeah. From Louisiana. It's made with sugar cane. My critique of that would be uh, it's very sweet in a good way, but it doesn't have the bite that like other root beers do. Softens the corners with the sweetness. Yeah. And other than that, I've just been getting acclimated to my new job, learning the ropes, starting to train people. Uh, what you been up to? Things have been interesting for me, Bob. I just been going through some stuff. There's been some stuff with my family. My mom's dealing with some health issues. Mm -hmm. So things have been um, tough, I think is the best way I can sum it up. But I'm here, man. I'm all right. I've been in better places in my life, but surviving, man. Got to see a show last week. I'm at the age now where it's really fun to go to, like, throwback bands that you liked in the 90s, and as long as they don't have $200 tickets. And who would this throwback band be? Blues Traveler. Woo! Yeah. Once upon a midnight, Jerry, I walk with something in my head. Cute, jammy. Not my favorite song by them. No, and, no. and I mean, that's the thing, but that's the one people are like, oh, I know them. Interesting show. It was in a very conservative town in Massachusetts, and it was fucking insane. Uh, I want to stop you just for a second to remind people that, yeah, while Massachusetts overall gets a label that it's a liberal state. We got pockets. We got pockets of conservatism here. And it was honestly like, you know, I got kind of high. It's medibles. I was excited. And to show up, it was at like a town hall. And it seemed like everybody who was there all knew each other. And like they pre-gamed, they pre-gamed by getting like a really nice oat latte before. It was just a very weird, buttoned-up conservative crowd. And Blues mm. Traveler's music is very like stony and like dancey and hippie. It's a child of the Grateful Dead. Yeah, in a way. Yeah, no, it is. You know, and there's a lot. There were a lot of solos, a lot of really good jams, but the crowd was just. I'd never been in a crowd like that where everybody was sitting. Nobody got up to dance. A couple times I got up to dance, people were like, "This motherfucker." So it, it was super, super strange. But musicianship was fun. It was a nice throwback, reminding me when I was younger. Yeah. Because I'm just, you know, but it was a fun show. I needed to get out, needed to smoke, needed to fucking experience that. So that was nice. So before we jump, jump into the episode, I wanted to just address something that uh, a listener of ours had asked me on Facebook when uh, I, I think I posted one of the um, YouTube shorts. And it was about our episode that came out last week about the cults. Yeah. And that would be Mr. Mike Snowgrove. Always love you guys. Appreciate you guys. My uh, old equipment is always here for you guys if you want to pick it up for the Probably Wrong podcast. Just throwing that out there. But anyway, what Mike Snellgrove asked is he he focused on the part of the episode where you talked about doing the interview with the survivor of Heaven's Gate. Yeah. And he wanted to know where he could get that article. And I told him you had a website, and that website went down. Unpublished, yeah. Yeah. Like a depublished, delisted. Yep. So I told him I would reach out to you, but I figured I would do that on air so that, I mean, it, it's for everybody if everyone was interested in that. Yeah, and like, you know, um, get me his email address. I'll send him a copy. I'll just send him like a version of it, like a, a PDF. Like a PDF, yeah. But I would love to be able to get him a copy of it. Um, really, really proud of, of that particular article. And I think for people who listen to that episode, it'll be a really kind of like a nice 
director's cut almost if they get to read that. I also wanted to give a shout out to someone who listened to it. I don't know if they're an, an all-time, always-time listener, but uh, Mr. Uh, Tom Duquette. And the reason I want to give him a shout out is because he left a comment. And his comment was a uh, little tidbit. He loved the fact that we brought up that the Davidians did not get their name from David Koresh. But he did say, you do know, do you guys re know that he legally changed his name? His name was not David Koresh. No, he didn't. I did not know that. So thank you, Tom. That was great. And he told me his name was like Vincent something. Or, so he did yeah. that to be manipulated. Yeah, and I, and I implied that in my response to Tom. Nice. Being like, I could see David Koresh doing that to align himself with the Davidians. So thank you, Tom. Yeah, we like that. We've always said, man, feedback is awesome, and it lets us know, and it lets us connect with you guys. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. So, appreciate that. All right, so what are we here to talk about today? You know, Bob, I think I had hit you up a couple weeks back and might have even been this week. And I was like, do you want to unpack our dads? Because we talked about this episode before and we were actually going to have it. And then my dad died. Yeah. Like we mm -hmm. were going to have it while my dad was alive. Um, I know Bob's got a really, you know, a cool relationship with his father. And there's a lot there. And he lost his dad, too. So I think we just I just was like, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So if you want, we can just make two segments. One segment can be like your dad. One can be mine. Word. So what we'll do is uh, we'll take a little break. We'll play our jingle. We'll play that. We'll come back. My segment will go on my dad. And then yours will go on yours. And you all have or had dads. So we can all relate. You know, we'll talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. One is named Remy. This is Remy. The other, Bobby Rocks. Bobby Rocks here. Together, they take you on weekly journeys of life from the point of view of Xennials, or people born in the late 1970s to mid-1980s. Their aim is to give a voice to the voiceless. It's the Xennial Odyssey Podcast. Welcome to the Odyssey. All right, so I think uh, sticking with a theme of not just my dad, but my family in general, I'm going to do it like storyteller style because cool. that's, that's what we do. So my father, Thomas James Roxborough Jr., uh, was born in, on April 17th, 1948 in Cambridge, Massachusetts to Thomas J. Sr. Roxborough. Ooh, there you go. Uh, and his wife, Agnes Roxborough. Agnes was her legal name, but she went by Pat, Patricia. Cause oh. So, to, so in my family, if you're talking about my grandmothers, she would be Nana Pat. And then my other one, because my mother's maiden name is McDonald, would be Nana Mac. Oh. So that's how we would differentiate. So that's Nana cute. Pat. He was the middle child of three children. He had an older sister named Alice who was born before. I want to say Alice was born around the, right before my uh, grandfather had to go to World War II. Mm -hmm. And my father was the first child born. Like that, ba we're, again, we're talking baby boom. So like my, my grandfather came back from the war. They had my father. And then literally maybe like 15 months later had my, my uh, uncle Doug. Oh, wow. And they grew up in Stoughton, Massachusetts. And my father came of age in the 60s and the 70s. He, uh, unfortunately, we lost my Aunt Alice long before, like 15 years before I was born. So oh, that sucks. Yeah, in 1967. And the reason that she passed away was because she had kidney failure and dialysis was not something that was readily available. In that oh, that sucks. So that is a, I, I believe that that had a profound impact, not just on my father, but my family. Mm -hmm. On top of just we're now getting into finding yourselves in like spirituality, like like a non-Western spirituality. My father, you know, he experimented along with all of his friends. He really got into the Moody Blues. His favorite album was In Search of the Lost Chord. I was going to bring that up. That's yeah. funny. It is. Uh, I was and, listening to that yesterday. Yeah, and my father was a very philosophical, but he got he loved to get deep in stuff like that. As a child, I I 
there were times I found it awkward, but I think that is as much because I had a hard time keeping up with it because I was a child. Anyway, he was finding his way, and uh, I guess he wasn't finding his way good enough. So my grandfather was a tradesman. He was a master-level carpenter, and essentially he built Boston. He was on those union jobs that built what modern-day Boston looks like today. Wow, that's cool. And so he just said to my dad, well, if you're not, if you can't figure it out, then you're going to come work with me. And at the same time, it was probably like 1968, my mother, who's from Portland, Maine, was uh, going to school to be a nurse. And so she was doing essentially like her internships in Boston hospitals. And my father happened to be doing construction on one of them. And he caught her eye. And the reason he caught her eye was because as a construction worker who's just there to do work, he would take the time for like elder, didn't matter if it was elder or whoever it was, but he was, she noticed that he was taking the time to just talk to um, patients and things. Like he talked to elderly men and- Very human. He very, he, yes, he would very like make it empathetic and humanize and just talk about everyday stuff, like the, how the Red Sox were doing and she, things like that. She found that attractive. Yeah, and because... so through word of mouth, all that stuff, you know, they, they hooked up and- they became a couple. They got married in 1972. They had my sister in 1975. My father, I would say, was a late mature. So around that time, it was really my sister was the reason that he uh, started to mature. He went to Southeastern Regional High Schools after program for adults. My got. dad taught there. He did? Yeah. Your dad taught, taught art there? Or, taught um, art. How cool is that? That is pretty cool. For my dad, it was probably like 1977. Yeah, my dad started teaching like 20 years later there. My father uh, got certified in something called metrology, and the, this is how I can describe it in layman's terms to people. You know how when we have to get our cars inspected, we have to hook it up to a machine, and the machine makes sure that our engines and exhaust and everything is running right, and if it doesn't, it says why, and it says how we can fix it. My father did that for everyday machinery. He could do it for something like this soundboard here. He could do it with analog equipment. He could also do it with digital equipment, which was a specialty in the field. That's cool. He worked for analog devices for a long time. So like VCRs, four tracks. Oh, no, he would. He worked with like industrial business okay. stuff. For example, during the Kuwait situation, I don't know if we could call it a war, when he worked for analog devices, they were calibrating the chips in the Patriot missiles. Oh, wow. So, I mean, yeah, so we're talking that some of the jobs he did was like subcontract government. He never, but my father also was never lost his free spirit. He just learned how to harness and be like a responsible adult as he got older. And one conversation I've had with uh, mostly my sister, because there's about an eight-year age gap between my sister I have and a I. seven year between me and my brother. And one thing we've talked about, unfortunately, after uh, our dad uh, died was that, you know, the version of dad that she got was not the version that I got, Be just by nature of I'm the youngest, you know, and the nature of our parents were different because I had seasoned parents. And one thing that I really appreciated about my dad is that I really don't think of my two parents, my father was not a, like a boomer mindset type of person. My father was very uh, emotional. He was very kind, considerate, empathetic. He wanted to engage. Open to your emotions as well? Yes. In fact, encouraging me to be open emo wow. emotionally. That's awesome. And as I got older and I started to kind of figure out myself, that's something I drifted away from, but in a way where it was conflicting. Because I, I, the way I describe myself is that I was equally my parents' personalities. And so when you're a teenager and that, so 50, that creates 50% of both, that creates a conflict mm -hmm. emotionally, especially when you're in a trying time as adolescence. And it wasn't until I got older, closer to the time when he was getting elderly and, and passed away that I really didn't embrace that. So that is something I carry uh, some shame with. Okay. Um, Understandably. Now that said, my father did have moments where he would show boomerism. I mean, he's not, he you wasn't, not. he wasn't perfect, but the things that I appreciate about who my father was as a human being was that he wore his flaws. He basically was a person that was like, this is me. I have flaws. I'm comfortable exposing those flaws. Mm. 
And if you choose to hold that against me or whatever, that's your deal and that's fine. I'm not going to, I'm not, that, that was my father. He was one of those people. I'm not going to get hung up on it. You can if you right. want, but I'm already past it. Right. He was also an alpha, but he wasn't an alpha. Like he wasn't an alpha in the sense that he'd get it done. He also was that person who was the first one who saw when there was that void where someone needed to be that leader, he was going to be that leader. And you know, both our dads, boomers, whatever, you kind of had to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you kind of had to be one thing that I found that was wonderful. And it's one of those sad things that you find out, like in and people talk about someone after they pass is hearing the stories about that I hadn't really heard before about how um, when he was a child and like his friends and neighborhood friends would all hang out. He would be basically they playing games and he would be like a sportscaster doing play by play and how he they would talk about the emotion he could bring to that. And I also and I did know this, but they expanded on it that really right before my sister was born, like he actually went to the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Oh, wow. And he wanted to be a DJ. That's and so his cool. name was going to be Rock and Roxy. Nice. And, uh, and look where you are right now. And, and I know, right? Yeah, yeah. We always talk about that. My dad, if he was still alive, he he would be trying to walk through these uh, curtains that we have here, and just I would openly welcome him on. My dad show. too, though, hundred percent. What was his name again? His DJ name? Rock, Rock and Roxy. Rock and Roxy and Ron. You could just get railroad signs. <laughs> R and R. Oh man. And we were just we were talking about railroad oh, signs. Man. Sorry, a little moment, guys. The Rock and Roxy and Ron Express. There yeah, you go. There we, it we is. Just, 50 years later, we did it for you guys. Thank Love you guys. Love, Love you. Guys. We're talking to our dads. But I would also say my father, around like in his 50s, I was a teenager. I mean, I was my, when I was born, my father was 35 years old. Yeah, me too. And he was really starting to like mellow down and all that. But he was also a prideful person. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is he was uh, someone that just wanted control. Again, people. with that generation, big yeah. time too. This is where it got into problems. When he was probably in his late 40s, early 50s, he found out that he had prolonged severe high blood pressure to the point where it had done damage uh, to his kidneys. So he was told, like, your kidneys are only at, like, 50% now because you didn't get on, like, high blood pressure medication. It was just something he didn't want to do. Yeah. That was his, that's his choice. Boomer shit. That's his choice. But he did correct from there. And when he was approaching, like, 70 him and my mom had actually talked. So my mom was going to donate him one of her kidneys. She was a candidate. He had been ported for dialysis, Yeah, but he had con either convinced himself or a doctor had told him, he says a doctor told him, that it's easier for your body to transition to a transplanted organ, in this case a kidney, without you being on dialysis. Uh -oh. So he was trying to avoid being on dialysis, mm -hmm. and he ended up being hospitalized because his kidneys were basically shot. And then he had no choice. He had to go on dialysis, and I, I truly feel like his body didn't recover, and he died within... 10 months that of, sucks. of that and he went quick but one thing that was great about it and i tell people this is that uh, we as a family we had opportunities that other people do not have mm -hmm. like my father was in the hospital he was making he made the decision i understand i want to just want to go home i understand that that will result in me losing my life but i, I want to do this on my terms i want to die on my terms and then he had a rebound and, and that's a norm like a normal rebound that people have yeah he was talking to me, and I remember that. Um, this so you guys got to have some. We had some very cognitive final moments, and we had some very, very uh, difficult conversations. In the sense that, when I saw him after he made that decision, before he had come home, he asked me if, if uh, I gave him permission to do that, and and there was no legality to it. He was more, "Are my okay?" Checking on you. Am I okay? And what I told him is, I I respect your your decision, and I'm okay with it. Um, because to not do that would be selfish of me, and yeah. that would prolong your suffering, and I don't want to do that. And I said, so I, I am okay with your decision. I agree with it, 
I said, that is the hardest thing I've ever had to say, and it breaks my heart to say that, but it's what you want. And I'm good on you. Good on you. And he thanked me. Yeah. And then we had other uh, conversations where, like, my brother wanted to see him privately, and he told him that he was the greatest dad ever. So I talked, and this guy on his deathbed, and he's making jokes. Like, and that's that also speaks to my dad. That that he was, you know what? He was ready and and was cool with his demise. He was ready for the next the next step. And so I asked him, Hey, what'd you guys talk about? And, and he literally was like laying in the bed and he's like, Oh, he just came by and said I was the best dad ever. <laughs> like that, that was his reaction. I laugh. And what I told him because of the nature of like what we did for a living, you know, dad, I'm like, let me put it this way. Cause I'll put it in my own words through my work and my life. I have seen that not everybody has the privilege of having a great dad. And, well said. and we did. So thank you. And his reaction to that was more like a, you know that sounds a little better yeah thanks yeah <laughs> just and that was that was my dad my dad was uh he was a very i loved the things i miss about my dad are that uh how profound he he would try to make everything profound and yeah i think about when i was a teenager and to me it was kind of dorky and all that but it's things as you get older and in hindsight i wish i could still have those moments mm-hmm. uh, for example we talked about it on an early probably your first episode on here uh my father loved the prophet by Khalil gibran Khalil, yeah but he didn't read it. He got the spoken word book that was narrated by Richard Harris. Oh, that's awesome. And that's the kind of stuff like, like we brought up in search of the lost chord. His favorite thing to talk about was uh, the song Ohm or the people would call it the Timothy Leary song. It's it's officially called Legend of the Mind, mm-hmm. you know, and he would say that was that was his favorite song. Did your dad explore with psychedelics? Or yes, have any he did. Experience yep. in and that? He, yeah. And he actually was pretty open about it. That's so cool. so this was another great thing about my dad is that he was uh, he was talking more to my sister and a boyfriend of hers at the time. And I was maybe like 12 years old. And my dad was openly saying like, yeah, I experimented with with pot and I experimented with uh, mushrooms and cocaine. And he didn't like LSD. He had a bad trip on LSD. Yeah, that can do it. Uh, but he he didn't mind other other forms of expanding his mind. Mm-hmm. And this all went hand in hand together. He was still a young man, finding himself probably dealing with the grief mm-hmm. of losing his sister. Yeah, that's right. Um, no, this is where my father is like a boomer because he carried that pain, but he didn't like to talk about it. No, that's big. Um, that's basic. The one thing I also skipped is that uh, right before I was born, mm-hmm. my uh, my uncle was a alcoholic. He struggled with that. And they went out to, my father loved sports. He loved boxing. So they went out somewhere. They were at a party watching a Marvin Hagler fight. My father loved Marvin Hagler. So they went out, they were really drunk and they were hanging out afterwards. And my uncle said something to the effect of, I'm not done. I still got to go out. But my dad was like, well, I got to go home. I got, you know, the wife, the kids and all that. And unfortunately, when my uncle went out, he went out partying with some people. And according to people, he was uh, brandishing the firearm, intoxicated. He went to lean into a vehicle to light a cigarette and rested against his head and it went off. So he caused himself a traumatic brain injury. Oh, that's awful. Um, so that was all I ever knew of my uncle, is my uncle was somebody who had a traumatic brain injury. He was somebody that, unfortunately, every time he met me was the first time he met yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. But that was something that was normalized to me. Like, pe- I tell people that, and they go, oh, yeah, that, that was my norm. We were used to it, yeah. Yeah. And, I, I you know, later on, because my father didn't even, like, talk about my uncle was still alive. He would still come to holidays and stuff. My father would interact with him and be nice, but... I mean, family members would say, like, he had, once he realized that, like, his, my uncle wasn't going to get better than what he was, is he, is he said, like, well, effectively, my my brother's dead. Yeah. And I only ever really pressed him on it once, and he did open up about it, and my father put it in these terms. So my father, if you could engage him in this stuff, he eventually would. He wouldn't just shut down and be like... But it takes work. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't get defensive, like, rah, rah, rah. He would just kind of be like... And sometimes he'd just openly say, like, I don't want to talk about it. So this time he did, and he talked about the pain that he went through 
losing his sister and and what that looked like. He actually blayed out what it looked like. Yeah. I could feel that pain and that hurt. And it was the same with my uncle. And then, then my dad started, he actually broke, we were at a bar and he actually sort of like broke down and started crying. He said, I don't know how my parents had the strength to move on after one, let alone two tragedies to their children. Yeah, that's brutal. And I now, as a father of three, I don't think I could do that. And I, and I, it's something that terrifies me as you guys are now adults and living your own lives. And, and I looked at him and that's when he cried and that's when I let it go. And I felt very terrible about that. Yeah. Um, maybe he needed it. Cause I didn't want to push him like that far, but it was a genuine, like I know very little about like my aunt and my uncle. And I just was curious. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, he, he, he wasn't one to be, you know, like that raw, that's not your information. Children are seen or no, he wasn't like that. No. Yeah. No, he was very encouraging. Of things. That's awesome. He was also someone that once you started something, he was gonna he was gonna make sure that you finished it. Yeah, that's a boomer thing. Yeah. Too. But as I got older and I started to mature, like emotionally and all that, he was very good at matching that. If I articulated something in an uh, like an adult way or appropriate way, he yeah. would match it with that. That's cool. Yeah, he was, and I can't stress things enough. I mean, uh, yeah, those are the things I miss. I put my father in the category. We talked about Steve Hayward. Mm -hmm. We've talked about Pat. Pat is one of the reasons we do this show. Um, these three people now are, are trifecta who are on my Mount Rushmore of uh, the world is a poorer place because the people like that aren't in it. Yeah. Amen. And, Amen. and um, the best I can do is to keep that legacy going by trying to live it, living by the lessons that someone he taught me. So, yeah, is my father by definition of a generation of boomer? Yes. Did he have moments where he had boomerism? Yeah. But you know what? Like, overall, do I associate him who he was? As a boomer, I don't. No, yeah. I don't. He was actually, I don't, he kind of reminds me more of like a Gen X. Sounds like it a little which bit. Which is weird because he was born in 1948. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, that just shows you his progressive way of thinking. Yeah. You know, which is impressive. It is. To varying degrees, my siblings uh, would all agree. I, I would say my sister is the most like my dad. Mm. And um, she tells great stories about that. She, I mean, she is the out of all out of the three of us. She's the one who physically looks the most like him. Oh, interesting. So, so that make to me that kind of makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, that's uh, that's uh, me kind of paying homage to to uh, to my dad, to Tom. Now we can move on to Ron. Ron Carrero, huh? Wow, yeah. what a trip. Everyone impacts things differently. Who knows how this has all come out, but I'll, I'll, I'll talk it. This um, is your part of the Odyssey, so this is your journey. So my father 
was a freelance artist and a successful freelance artist in the 80s, like billboards all over Boston. 100% Portuguese and married a French woman. And I never knew the problems that caused him and his family. I never really knew the Portuguese side of my family, which people find insane because Portuguese very family oriented, but they kind of ostracized him for having a French wife and not a Portuguese wife. And, you know, his parents were pretty shitty people. My grandfather was well known in town. He was a, he was a barber. He had a fucking barber shop in Fall River for 30 years. Never raised the price of haircuts. They were always $2.50 even when he died. But they were very old school, racist, weird, kind of crappy. And my dad figured out early that if he wanted a life, he was going to have to make it for himself. And initially he's like, well, what the fuck do I do? And he was like, oh, well, back then people go into the army. That's what you do to set up a future. And so that's what he did. And he didn't fight in any wars. But I know that in the 60s, he was stationed out in Germany, which is really interesting to me. And he just had a little motorcycle and he'd drive around and pick up German women. Really, that was a very interesting period. Yeah, he told me some, some really cool stories about that. Go on. Well, he did tell me this one about picking up. And this was, he waited till I was in my 20s. But like, he had a threesome out there with two German ballerinas. That's just cool shit. Because, you know. Good looking guy, military suit out, like that kind of stuff can happen, you know? Okay, so an attractive young American man. Blue eyes. In a suit. Yeah, looked like well dressed. Brando, yeah. Well and he was well spoken. So he knew pretty early he was like, I want to be an artist. That's just my shit. Mm -hmm. And um, he made it happen. Like there's, there's iconic things that my father was a part of. One of those, and I don't know how people are in other parts of the country, but around here, we have Dunkin' Donuts every three feet. And my dad was the first commercial artist for Dunkin' Donuts. So there was a munchkin box back in the 80s that was yellow. Wow. With these little dudes on a hand painting, and they're rolling these, don't, these munchkins, which are as big as them because they're like cute little elves or whatever. And I always said to him that I felt like the Keebler elves stole the vibe of my dad's munchkin box because it was the same idea, little dudes mm. making food. But it was a beautiful box. You can still look it up. There's, I know there's copies of it on Reddit, but the yellow munchkin box from Dunkin' Donuts, and it was iconic. It was huge. So he did really well for himself, marries my mom. My memories form when I'm living in South Weymouth. Before that, I was too young. Mm -hmm. I have a sister who's two years older than me and a brother who's seven years. So I'm the baby in the family. Mm -hmm. I definitely felt like my family was burnt by the time I showed up. Do you know what I mean? Like, like they were just, just kind of like, worn out. yeah, I was the third kid and they were kind of like, all right. but there was a lot of problems there. Like my dad had the basement downstairs. We had a beautiful house in Weymouth. It had secret rooms. It had fucking dumb waiters. Looking back, it was actually super creepy, but at the time it was super cool. As a child, I would, I would find that to be an adventure. It was like, you could just, you could crawl through like little crawl spaces and end up in different parts of the house. Mm. But it was cool. And, and, and you know, back then there was a really big push for like family. Like it was, if you're married, you have kids and have a family and the have a nuclear, house. The nuclear, the nuclear family. family of the 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. Yes. So he worked his ass off. He eventually like put in an in-ground pool, diving board, slide, built a huge like 15 foot fence around the pool that nobody could see through. So like we could do whatever out there. But my mom at the time was going through in the seventies, it was the feminist revolution. And it was like, don't be married with kids because then you're just like a fucking zoo animal. Would it be fair to say, I guess for me, is it so much a zoo animal or would, would it be sold there or 
or talked about like as a form of oppression. Yeah, that's how it was actually okay. seen very okay. much. And so he understood why she was doing these things, but he also was like, this is hinting at a bigger issue, I think, a little bit. And so from second to fourth grade, I just remember them fighting all the time. And then the divorce happened, and then we moved. We lost the house in Weymouth, stayed with mom for a bit, moved in with dad a little later. My dad was an intense dude. I saw him punch out windshields, punch out windows in people's car, like scary shit. And I was a bit of a psycho. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely have a, like, my capacity for fucking fuck aroundedness is like 3% because of him. But it always freaked me out. Like, if, like road rage incidences. Like this one. This dude's fucking with my dad. Braintree into Boston, that area, which is already really choked up and weird. And um, he's like cutting him off, going next to him, blocking him, blah, blah, blah. And so my dad does this. I'll never forget this. He does this. And for some reason, the guy pulls over. That's all I'll never understand. So the guy fuck with my dad pulls over. My dad just goes over and punches out both windows in the front seat and then just comes over. Remember, he bends the license plate so they can't see it and call the cops when you drive off. I was young. I was in fifth grade. I was like bawling. But unfortunately now, I know that I have his rage switch, which sucks. Mm. So I have to be aware of that. Just because if you see it enough, you're like, oh, okay, punching people's normal. Wasn't abuse. We used to get smacked when I was young if we did stupid shit, which is Pretty normal for 80s kids and 90s yeah. kids, but never like a piece of shit, never black eyes, never throwing us down. He's just, he was an intense Portuguese guy. After the divorce, he kind of lost everything, you know, family, whatever. He lost his house that he worked I for. I was going to say, so just because he divorced your mom didn't mean that, like... She divorced him. And, well, I was going to say yeah. that, that that his family just welcomed back with open arms. No, that it was, made no difference at that point. The yeah. damage was done. The, the They had washed their hands mm -hmm. of one another. Or, Essentially, yeah. yeah. And so, but at that point, he was like, oh, you know, I want another fucking house. Fuck this. So he just freelanced for a long time, made the money, found a plot in Plymouth, Massachusetts, right next to the water, built the house for like... 150 grand that when he passed, we sold essentially for a million, million bucks. It was right on the water, wow. which paid for his care because he got dementia and Alzheimer's. But that was one of the most amazing things I'd seen is that he rebuilt his life. And I'm at a point where I'm going through some shit and just carrying that with me is enough for me to be like, all right, this shit will get better. Cause I'm at a point right now too, where I'm in between shit and all fucked up. Mm. But I saw that at this point, when my dad was maybe a little older than me. Even he was like, yeah, let's do this. If I have to reboot it, I'll reboot it. But the thing is, when I lived with my dad, it was I moved in seventh grade because I was I only lived around my mother and sister before that, and it was just too much female influence. It just was. It was making me a little bit of a soft boy. So I was like, you know, I'm gonna live with my dad. I have a feeling there'll be a little more freedom for me out there. But we clashed a lot because I was a little long-haired fuck up who just wanted to take drugs and do stupid mm -hmm. shit, and he was like, you know, alpha male. So there was a lot of clashing in high school. It was like, fuck you, Dan. Fuck you. You know what I mean? But, I mean, that's normal. That's normal when you reach the high school age or college yeah. age. You start getting a little bit more, like, pissy to your parents. And he was pissy, too. He'd be pissy right back. So it was like sometimes we would match pissiness, and it was dangerous in that house. You know, I remember once my brother was there, and me and my dad were fighting. And I walked by the door into the basement, right, going to my room, mm -hmm. and I punched it. And I punched the fucking door completely off the hinges and fell down the stairs. And I swear to God, if my brother wasn't there, my dad would have murdered me in that moment. Because I never, like, I didn't mean to do it. And as soon as the door went down the stairs, I was like, I'm fucking dead. But my brother was just like, go to the room and, like, stood between us. But that's boomer parenting. Sometimes they want to kick your ass. Sometimes their first instinct is kick your ass. Mm -hmm. But we got to a point when I was a little older and I was like, yeah, listen, I'm kind of big now. So if you come at me, it's just going to be messy. Let's not do any of that shit. We agreed, like, listen, want to be pissed at me, be pissed at me, but let's not go full bull because it won't be good for either of us, I don't think. 
And, you know, like I said, there was definitely a, a period where it was just like bringing my girlfriends over and fucking them and like, but I wasn't contributing much. You know, I worked, but I was just, I was a young kid. I wanted to fuck around, you know? Another issue, another thing that we uh, clashed with our boomer parents about. When I was your age, I was yeah. doing this. I already this, had a house and shit like that. Yeah, I just shut yeah. the fuck up. It was a different time. Yeah. And so, you know, I ended up moving out like 21 years old, and that kind of started my journey on my own. The problem, and I still saw my dad all the time. The problem was when he reached about 60, Alzheimer's and dementia began to set in. And that was... You know, whether or not you dealt with it or not dealt with it, it's the worst thing on earth. It is. It's it's essentially, if you're going to watch somebody die of cancer, you're going to watch somebody die of Alzheimer's. The cancer patient will at least remember you on the last day. And the Alzheimer's patient won't. And so watching somebody you worship become a shadow of themselves and, like, toward the end, he'd always call me my brother's name, mm -hmm. you know, which sucked because I wanted so, him to know so, I was uh, there. Jason? Yes. Yeah. I wanted him to know I was there, but I never corrected him because I didn't want to fuck him up. And, like, if that's your reality mm -hmm. right now, you can have that. Fine, I'm Jason. Mm -hmm. But that was tough. It's t it's tough to have someone just worship kind of fade, you know? But we sold the house and got him in really good care, which was important. Like, really good care. Like, I would visit. The, the way they ate was essentially set up like a full restaurant. It would have a different menu every day. That's awesome. Yeah, and I'd go by and, like, Anytime I'd eat with him, it was just amazing. It was like a five-star meal. And so he was in a really good place, met a girl there. They fell for each other, which is common in homes. People don't know that in, in homes, old people fuck because what else is there to do? And that's cool. I was stoked for my dad. But then he went full Ron Carrero and stole a car, snuck her outside, and they drove to Foxwoods to gamble. That's something. I, I don't mean to, no, I just laugh. mean that that story is like, it's epic. Wow. Yeah, it's one of the most mm. epic things ever. And they were, it, what sucked though is they were like, yeah, you know, we have to kick your dad out now, right? My thing was this how the fuck did two people with Alzheimer's walk out the front door of this place? There were guards posted at every fucking door. How was did two people who were supervised become unsupervised? Yeah. Like, they, he knew to steal a staff's car. So, like, that was my dad's last punk rock How did he get the keys? Because he's fucking Ron Carrero. And that, that's what me and my brother just, like, that was dad's who, last. Who were we talking about on a, a previous episode? Oh, it was Jerry Springer. But instead of being, like, because of Jerry Springer, it'd be, like, because Ron Carrero. Because of Ron Carrero, yeah. And, like, we were mad, but we found him another great place. And these places were in Maine. Just, like, listen, if you're going to send your family anywhere and you're in New England, send them to New Hampshire or Maine. It's beautiful. Yeah. The air's clean. People are much nicer than where we live. Yeah. But it was hard because it, the first place was an eight-hour drive for me. Mm. The second place was a five-hour drive for me. And so it was difficult because I could not see him as much as I wanted to, and it killed me. I know when he was there, he wasn't like, where's Remy? Because unfortunately, the way the disease works is that's not what's going to be planned, but it was eating me because he's my dad. And I will say, like, mm. we made peace right before the Alzheimer's. And when I say we made peace, we never had like true like discord, but we made peace in the sense that I was like, I sat down with him and was like, listen, I was a long haired dude who just wanted to fucking do drugs and got pissed a lot. Like, and I apologized and owned that. And we ended up having some really amazing talks before mm -hmm. he went into the home. Amazing, where it was just like, I let him know that in his own way, his sense of humor formed mine. His charisma formed mine. And it's normal to clash with your parents. But it's important, I think, to step aside later and be like, that was just some little bullshit. It didn't mean anything. Yeah. 
So we had that and we had some great talks. And I, I learned more about my dad's relationship with my mother because my dad really protected me from that. Do, were you ever able to have like a conversation somewhere along the lines where your father was like, you know, I wish I could have done this or this or this? Oh, yeah. Those, Those are great. And for anyone who's never had that, that is a one. I had that. My father would said that to me once. He wishes he could have been a better father. And I said, what the fuck are you talking about? But I remember this one instance. I'm glad you mentioned that because yeah. I wouldn't have thought of this. But when I first moved, we moved a lot when I was younger. When I first moved to a new school in Weymouth, it was absolutely soul destroying for me. It's like one of the hardest things I ever went through. But I remember even then, like he was talking to me and he was like, you know, just think of it like Star Wars. Like you got to do this tough thing and you got to face this. But he knew how to like sort of frame I was things. Say, your, your dad was Obi-Wan in that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he yeah, knew yeah. how to frame things to make them seem more palatable. So I'm new at school and everybody picked on me. I wasn't the psycho I am now then. And so my dad picked me up after school and everybody left school and then I came out a half hour later. And he was like, yo, what the fuck? Everybody left. And I'm like, yeah, I stay in the bathroom because I don't want to get in like four fights. And my dad was like a boomer and laughed and was like, what? Don't be a pussy. You know what I mean? But he didn't understand that if your kid's coming out of the school a half hour later, the bullying's probably fucking severe. Yeah. But he, as a tough motherfucker who punched people out his whole life, is just like, just punched them all out. But I wasn't bred for that yet. And I wasn't at that point. I didn't know how to be that way. Yeah. And then I remember one of the last things is he was like, you know, Rem, I always think about that day I picked you up. And he's like, I think I laughed because it made me sad and I didn't know what to say, but I should have gone into that fucking school. Mm -hmm. That was crazy because I had forgotten that and he didn't. And that just shows you how they hold shit because he was like, I would do that moment different and I'm yeah. sorry. And I remember him saying that, me being like, that's beautiful that you can even say that. For me, what was interesting is in that moment that my dad said that to me, it was more of just like a, you know, I wish I just could have done yeah. more or been better. I was the one who was like, are you fucking serious? Yeah, you did do, great. Do you realize that you and mom created an environment that was a safe space for your children and your children's friends who came from environments that weren't safe? Yeah. What does it say when you have grown adults who are not biologically related to you that will call you mom or dad? Yeah, you set a foundation that was unbreakable. Maybe it was just that he was just gauging it. I don't know why, but he was gauging because you could see like a, almost like a weight lift. And then he was like, oh, yeah, well, you're right. Yeah. And then yeah. just telling me st some stories that were hilarious, like him walking. He came home. My sister and her friends were asking my mom about intimacy stuff. Yeah. And he brought that up. And he thought that like, well, yeah, that's an example of what you're talking about because they couldn't have those conversations with their boomer parents. You know, and yeah. so in those moments toward the end when he was very much cognizant and aware and he you know i told him like he was my man at the end we talked about everything the girls i dated this and that like but he was my man's you know what i mean so my most grateful thing is that i i knew he was going and spent a lot of time with him in that period mm. like we'd go out for fried clams down the cape and just like you know and sometimes it's like hey dad today i need you to listen i've had a shitty week and then sometimes it's like hey rem I needed you to listen. I had a shitty week, and that's what it became. How and long was it? How long was the unfortunate, like the unfortunate, how long was the process roughly? Of him starting to him going to the home? You will go with that, yeah. You know, it, it actually, the hints of it came fairly young. Like 55, we started being like, oh. But it didn't really become a thing till 60, and he had a short five years there where he went from like, we could talk about anything to him being like, I don't know where I live. And I, I was the one who was taking him to those doctor's appointments to get diagnosed. And it was crazy because what that comes down to is good days and bad days. If you get him on a good day, a doctor will be like, he's fine. 
But it's like, oh, no, he's not. You didn't see the other days. I think that's a good thing you bring up there is that people don't. It's not like like many things. It's not linear. No, not at no, all. No, Alzheimer's could, is not linear. I could knock on his door back then. And he'd be like, Remy. Or I could come in and he'd be like, hey, Jason. Because it was just starting to go. When it started yeah. to go, it went quick. But that's why like, I jammed like 10 years of life into those last five years. Like, let's get fried clams. I was taken to a movie. He was really stressed out. I, was in, I introduced him to vaping weed because he never did that. Mm-hmm. And he fucking loved it because it made him less worried. But, like, I would get him something like this. Just a pen that has a little bit of oil. And if you're stressed, I'd just be like, you know what? Just sit back and watch a cartoon. And he acclimated himself and enjoyed it. But he'd always get so high that he'd use it to stir his coffee. I told you that story. You did. You did tell me that story. So, like, he'd get to a point and then he'd be like, oh, this is my stirrer. And this is a pen that's, like, an electronic, so it would just fry it out. And I'd go by and the pen would be in the coffee. But I never humiliate or pointed him out. I'd just take it out of the coffee, trash it, grab him a new one. But that's the stuff that starts happening. And then I had taken him in for one of the Alzheimer's appointments, and he just, they were, like, name, address. And I think because of the stimuli that particular day, he just had nothing. And they were like, yeah. And then one, we took him out to the home. We moved him into the home. And I, I would visit pretty regularly initially. Unfortunately, like, you know, modern life, relationships, gas, like, just shit happened. And for the last year, I didn't really get to see him, and that kills me. Mm -hmm. That was the hardest thing when I got the news. And for me, the hardest thing when my dad passed was, like, my corner in boxing now is just a little bit more empty. Yeah. And it's a terrible feeling. And the worst thing, and, and, you know, one of my friends asked me the other day, he's like, what's it like? And I'm like, the thing you'll hate the most immediately is knowing they will never give you advice again yep it's gone that line's cut off you know what i mean i still have my dad's old phone number in my modern phone i just keep it there to say he's still here but the thing you'll miss the most i mean hugs all of it but you'll miss the fact that i can call this motherfucker anytime and he's gonna pick up for me and my father was the type that once you're in a, a situation like that, and it doesn't have to be the military, it could be anything. You're just in those close relationships. He formed lifelong close relationships with people. He left an imprint on those people. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those people came to his service that I had never met. I'd heard stories about. But you knew when you're like, mm -hmm. and at the end of the day, what I try to say to myself is if I can be half the man he was, then I'm killing it. Because mm -hmm. there's no way I could be 100%. It's a different generation. He was made out of fucking steel. Just different kind of people. But... Yeah, and the relationship was complex sometimes. That's what it is. Sometimes it's complex. Sometimes yeah. he was annoyed as fuck with me, and sometimes he'd be rude and say dick shit. But the beauty, and I recommend this to everybody right now, go make peace with your parents. Make peace for all the shit they did. They were just people like you trying to learn, mm -hmm. and you were just young and learning, but make peace. Take them up for a meal and sit down and say, hey, remember that time I lied and was away for two days, and you guys grounded me and I got pissed? You were right, and I'm sorry. And then, the same degree, remember the time you were too cruel to me? That doesn't fly. But just work your shit out, because there's going to be a day when you can't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I do, I do that with my mom, too. Me and my mom are open books with each other, straight the fuck up. And I just think that's essential. If I didn't take that time with my dad at the end to just sit and iron everything out, I I would, he would have gone to the grave not knowing how great he did. That's the truth. I had a wonderful conversation once with my father-in-law. Yeah. And the way he talked about being a parent was he thought his parents did a great job, like his father did a great job, but he wanted to take the good and use that as part of him being a father. But he also saw the things he didn't like. And just to keep him, like, remember not to do yeah. things like that. Like a blueprint for him to follow. And I think my father was a lot like that with us. But I also think that he was his worst critic. 
Oh, without a doubt, yeah. that generation. Yep. Uh, and, and I was happy that I got to let him know that you're being too hard on yourself. Ease up a little bit. I wish I had said that to my dad more. Yeah. But they didn't say that. He didn't say that to me enough in the early mm -hmm. age. Because that wasn't it. It was just a hustle, you know? And, and that was the other thing, too, is toward the end, what was beautiful is he observed the impact. Like, in other words, when I first was like, I'm going to be a writer, he was like, you're fucking insane. That's the stupidest shit I've ever heard. And then the site came out, and it blew up. And I remember he was, like, reading. He'd write me emails about certain articles that, like, touched him. But didn't that motivate you? Oh, my On God. some level, like, oh, oh yeah, fucker? I'm going to show you. Oh, 100%. I'm going to show you. Yeah, yeah. You don't yeah. think I can do it, so I'm going to do it. Yeah. You know, and I remember at the end a couple things. Like, I, you know, always loved music, and he was always like, you yeah, playing your guitar or whatever, you know? At the end, he, I'd record some stuff, and he's like, this is, I remember, it's like the best compliment he ever gave. He looked at me, he's like, this is music. Like, I know, but, like, he heard no, it. No shit out. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah, trying to say, yeah. but he was like, oh, wow. And he owned that. He's like, you know, there were times when I kind of busted your balls for your creativity and stuff, and I'm sorry. That's the stuff I like towards the end with, with both my parents, but with, like, my dad. Like, if my dad could say something like that, that much like one of my friends... I could be like, wow, no shit, fucking Sherlock. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then laugh about it. Yeah. And then laugh, like, he'd be, and he'd be like, okay, you got me, but fuck you. Yeah, uh, he, was, yeah. he was the fucking, yeah. you know, he, there were a couple things he did, you know, some of my favorite dad memories. We'd be driving at night, and he'd turn off the lights. If it was like a back road, he'd turn off the lights of the car and go, the brake stopped working. The car died. And we'd fuck it every time. We'd scream for like 30 seconds and he'd just turn the lights on and hit the brakes. Shit like that. We're just like with a shit eating grin. Oh, yeah. yeah. Shit like that was just the smirk. best. When, when I lived in Plymouth, you know, one of the things you, you did in the 90s was smoke joints and go to the mall with your friends. Yeah. That's just, it's dumb now, but it was a thing. He'd always drive me and my friend Dave to the mall and he knew that we were like trying to hit on girls and stuff. We'd get out of the car and then once we were like halfway in, he'd roll down the window. And he'd be like, I love you, boys. Like just <laughs> shit to bust balls. But like, that formed my whole template for comedy. Yeah. You know, it did. And even when shit was crazy for him, he always took the time to be a pain in someone's ass. <laughs> and, you know, that for me has kind of become my thing. So, you know, I miss him dearly. And these last two yep. months have been so fucking hard. Like, I'm between houses. You know everything. Yep. And, like, I need my dude. You know, and so you just kind of sometimes, but sometimes I'll just be like, yo, dad, help a motherfucker out right now. I need, I need your strength. If you're lucky and blessed enough to be open to it, you can feel him when he's there. You can feel moments when you're like, oh, that's my motherfucker right there. You know, and just little things, stupid things like pulling over. Always he did this. He'd pull over when the sunset was beautiful in the car and be like, look at that, guys. You know, and that, never missing an opportunity for something beautiful, majestic. Like you said, too, they yeah. did that shit. They'd seek that out, you yeah. know, and it was like, I would, if you asked me, I would think my mother would do shit like that. My mother never pointed out a sunset once. It's just people look through different eyes, you know? Yeah. But a lot of that set the foundation for who I am today. And a lot of that is a huge reason why, even though everything sucks for me right now, I'm not throwing myself in a chasm because I saw my dad rebuild his life at fucking 45, 50 years old. So I have to tell myself I was born with that man's strength and that man's power. So just, you know, holding the head up high. But this felt nice, man. Yeah. I needed that. Yeah, this is good. It's good because we, we gave Boomer shit, a whole episode about giving shit. But here we can talk about positives. Yeah, and we were, yeah. you know, we, we gave him shit because we were so close to them. They raised us. Mm -hmm. Would I have wanted to be raised by anyone else? No. No, it was, me it, it worked perfectly for me. And I also think that the way old parents used to be a little colder, 
Now I see with a lot of my friends who have four and five-year-olds, and they're like, how are you feeling? Do you want to talk to me about that? We didn't get that. No. So I feel like a lot of the boomers' hard-assness set up for a softer generation. I do, uh, I do agree that the reaction of the, f- of the future generation, so like for Gen X, mm-hmm. for, for Gen X, the reaction is being kinder and gentler and more with their open. children. Unfortunately, the pendulum at some point swung very far, and then it became overly like helicopter parents protective. Yeah, and then millennials who are parents, the pendulum swung back a tiny bit. But where things are getting lost, especially for older millennials with older children, mm-hmm. is there was the advocate for yourself and your feelings and all that. I will be here for you. But then there was, and even the helicopter parent thing, there's there was a lack of giving those problem solving skills. Like, so there's an over-reliance yeah. on the protection. That That's that's a kind of... And that also gave way to the everybody who runs in the race gets a ribbon. Yes, participation which, trophies. Which yeah. I don't necessarily think is beneficial to anybody. But I think that's pretty good ground we covered because uh, even that stuff we talked about, that can be loaded conversations for another day. So yeah, if uh, you guys want to hit us up on the socials and uh, you got any feedback or you want to share stories about your dads... Please feel free. Yeah, we'd love to listen. And we would love to listen and love to kind of give you that feedback either directly on the socials or on the air. And until the next time, Rem, thank you very much for sharing about your dad, Ron. Thank you for sharing. Call your parents. Yeah. Tell them you love them. All and right. thank you for sharing too, man. I was, this, this felt like a, this episode felt like a hug. <laughs>